Hi there, you're listening to the Paralegals on Fire podcast show where you'll be getting tips and actionable strategies that you can use right now to fast track your paralegal career. I'm your host, Ann Pearson, former paralegal and paralegal manager who left big law in the concrete jungle to start my own company, the Paralegal Bootcamp, where we give online courses that help paralegals make more money, increase their job security, and cut out the learning curve. All right, let's jump right into today's episode. All right, well, welcome everyone. We have another great paralegal inspiration episode, and we're talking to paralegals over the last month or two who have been a paralegal and in the paralegal profession now, but started without a paralegal certificate. And so I hope this is as inspirational to you as it was to me talking with Amy. So Amy started her paralegal career actually as a legal secretary without a paralegal certificate. She started in 2000 and she was working in the public defender's office. Fast forward, now she's a senior litigation paralegal at Swanson and McNamara in San Francisco. She's also the acting president of the San Francisco Paralegal Association and formerly served as president as well. She's the director of the San Francisco chapter of Women in E-Discovery. She also serves on the ethics board of the National Federation of Paralegal Associations. Oh, and she also chairs the paralegal section of the San Francisco Bar Association. And, and she didn't mention this to me before we talked, I actually stalked her LinkedIn page and found out she was also the 2019 Paralegal of the Year that was awarded from CAPA. And CAPA is the California Alliance of Paralegal Associations. Now, as you know, if you've listened to any other paralegals that I've been talking to throughout this series, the ones who started in the legal profession without a paralegal certificate, you know it wasn't easy for them. But it wasn't impossible either. I'm hoping that these are going to inspire you, especially if you're out there struggling to land that first paralegal position, or if you're someone wanting to move from that legal assistant position to a paralegal position. In this interview, we're going to talk about how you might be able to get a job working in legal without a certificate, but you might not want to wait too long to get that certificate because it then might take you longer to move into that role that you want. So Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, I think during my introduction, I also, now that I think about it, left out a few of your certifications. So I know what the SEDS certification is for. You're a certified e-discovery specialist. That's through ASEDS. What are the ACP and CAS designations? The ACP is Advanced Certified Paralegal, and that's through NALA, the National Association of Legal Assistants. And the CAS is the California Advanced Specialist Certificate, and that's in discovery um, provided by oh, the Certification Council of California Paralegals, I believe. So you went from no paralegal certificate to almost every possible certification that you could get. Correct. I like to collect certificates, as some of my board members will tell me. I like to collect board positions too, but I believe that, you know, you need to keep learning and getting the certifications and certificates is a good way to, you know, show your boss and others in the parallel community that, you know, you're serious about your position, that you enjoy doing it and that you want to keep getting better at it. 
So Amy, when we talked, you said that you had worked in the legal industry first as a legal secretary for about 12 years before deciding to get your paralegal certificate. Why did you decide at that point, 12 years in, that you wanted to get a paralegal certificate? I had been working as a legal secretary and I enjoyed the work, but I enjoyed the work of a paralegal more. The attorneys that I were was working for at the um, Federal Public Defender's Office, they would allow me to take on paralegal tasks. And uh, I had a few cases where I was the only uh, legal support working on the case. So I was doing all of the paralegal work all by myself. And paralegal positions would become available. And I kept getting looked over for those positions for either people with no paralegal experience, but they got the position because they were an attorney, or they had no experience, but they had a certificate that said that they you know, went to a college and got a paralegal certificate. And I figured a few times of, you know, advocating for myself to get the paralegal position and kept getting looked over. But maybe if I got the paralegal certificate that I could check off that box and then they would promote me to a paralegal, which unfortunately did not end up happening. Oh, okay. So you checked the box and did what they wanted and you still didn't get the paralegal position. Correct. Yeah. I honestly believe that it's because I'm old school. My work ethic is a little different to where I always wanted to go above and beyond. And so instead of just doing my legal secretary work, I was also doing admin work, office manager work. I was training. I was doing all the paralegal assignments that they would give me. I think I put myself in a position to where it was easier to keep me as a legal secretary than it would be to promote me into a paralegal position. Okay. So, you know, normally I would say, oh, I don't know if I want people thinking that, right? That you shouldn't outperform because I I totally think that you should outperform. But I also have had a similar experience that I don't think I've ever talked about on the podcast show, but so I know exactly where you're coming from. And I do think it depends on the employer and what you were originally hired for and where they are in terms of openness to promotion. Because back in the day, after spending a decade, you know, being this litigation paralegal, a decade at this one firm, I'd already had a few years experience before that. I was managing some file clerks and docketing people on these big cases that I worked on. And I saw the mismanagement of paralegals in the firm as a big AMLAW 20 kind of firm. And I approached attorneys and managers in my office about taking on a management role because I said, I could, I think I could really do great things for this firm's paralegal group. But everybody said, well, no, because you're such a great paralegal. Then what are we going to do for all of the cases that you're working on and all these litigation partners who want to work with you? And you know, lo and behold, six months later, uh, a recruiter called with a management position at another firm. And so I ended up leaving anyways. So I think there is something to be said for that being careful about that. But other than that, what are some of the biggest lessons that you learned from that experience? The hardest thing for me was sort of putting my ego aside and knowing that I had worked at this position for 12 years before I ended up getting my parallel certificate. And then even after I got it, I still was being looked over for the paralegal positions. I stayed because it was safe, but I also hated what I was doing. And I would go into work and just hate it and then come home and hate it. And it was rough. I had to sort of take a step back and 
and take sort of like a self-assessment of, you know, why was I staying there if I'm so miserable? And I think it's because I just kept thinking that I was going to get the promotion up to the position that I wanted because I had been there for so long. I had been going above and beyond, et cetera, et cetera. And I just finally had to do what was right for myself and take the big scary leap and find a new job, you know, and looking for a job in the legal field when you're currently working in the legal field is scary because you don't know if your current employer is going to find out that you're looking, how are you going to interview on your lunch break? And so that was terrifying and that helped me back for a while. And also being single and having a mortgage helped me back from trying to find a different position because at that time, you know, working in the government, the government's secure, you know, you're never going to get laid off. But I finally had to realize that I needed to do what was best for me. And what was best for me was ultimately to, you know, forego working the 20 years and collecting my full pension and actually doing something that I'm I'm proud to do and enjoy doing. Oh, that's a good point. So you were five years away from collecting a full pension. You could have just stayed there for five more years and been miserable at what you did, but you would have be collecting a pension right now. Uh, well, yeah, when I turned 65. Oh, oh I see. Okay. <laughs> now, I hit 15. So I think I get, I get like a reduced rate on my pension, but um, I don't get the whole thing. So I guess I'm going to have to get a government job before I retire, retire. But at the end of the day, it just wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth doing something that I hated doing because our jobs are they're more than just eight hours a day of our life. It's half of what we do, you know, for the time when we're working. And so it was, it's too, it was too much of my life to sort of give away just because it was safe and, you know, just on the off chance that I was going to get my full pension. Right. Well, so I want to talk about, because you, you are someone who served in both roles or worked in both roles, legal secretary, which now is called legal assistant and paralegal. So you've got a good base to be able to compare the two. And what's interesting, when we talked before I hit record, and so you're the chair of the paralegal section of the San Francisco Bar Association, and you had mentioned that you were working with the Bar Association to help attorneys understand the difference between a paralegal and a legal assistant. Can you tell me how you go about doing that? What what do you tell them to explain the difference? Our board has written several articles sort of talking about the difference between a legal secretary and paralegal and also uh, a legal assistant and a paralegal. At least in California, the terms, they're not supposed to be interchangeable. You're either a legal secretary or you're a paralegal. Legal assistant came around because the term legal secretary is sort of taboo. But we've written several articles, I think I've written two, that talk about the differences in what you should be using your paralegal for and what tasks that you have on your plate that really should be done by your paralegal and what tasks that a paralegal can do that a legal secretary can't do. We also have written articles about billing, um, what your paralegal can bill for, what they can't bill for, uh, and then also the difference between what they're asking for Are they asking for a certified paralegal? Are they asking for a certificated paralegal? And the differences between the two, how if they put in their job seeking posts that they want somebody who's ABA certified, that that doesn't exist. 
that it's a you graduated from an ADA certified school, but that doesn't give you any sort of an extra title. Pretty much just stuck with that. We've had a couple presentations that uh, the attorneys are welcome to attend, but then we've also written several articles in the recorder or the bar association. Interesting. I'll have to talk with you afterwards about maybe linking to a couple of those on the paralegal blog, because it's always interesting to have that conversation with people about exactly those things. Are you a legal assistant or a paralegal? Are you certified or do you have a certificate? Sometimes it's frustrating. You probably see it a lot too on some of the social media groups. I'm an ABA yes. certified paralegal. Yeah. Or they said that they're certified simply because they have a paralegal certificate. Right. Um, so knowing the difference between the two roles, even though you went above and beyond, so let's not go with the, the functions that you were doing above and beyond what you should have been doing as a legal secretary. What What were the differences? You know, you've been a paralegal now for, I guess, about eight years, almost 10 years. And so your other role, 15 years, even though the title was legal secretary, how was the work different when you were doing legal secretary work, not when you were going above and beyond? Right. I think the, the main difference is the substantial legal work. Her legals are called on to do a lot of legal secretary work, but legal secretaries are called on to do the more substantial legal work that um, differentiates us from being a legal secretary. There are like discovery review, drafting of legal documents. I know the legal secretaries could do the shelf drafting. Um, there's a little more writing uh, in drafting the articles as a paralegal. There are several tasks that a legal secretary performs that a paralegal wouldn't do. And it also depends on the field that you're in. I know a lot of legal secretaries who can run circles around a paralegal. So I don't want to, just because I fought hard to become a paralegal doesn't mean that I, I think that legal secretaries are lower than paralegals. I think that we run neck and neck on the same field. It's just that there are different things that we do that differentiate our positions. And I enjoy doing the document review and sort of digging into a case to find the one little needle hidden somewhere that's going to make, you know, whatever the case I'm on makes sense. I like the puzzle and the riddle part of it. And so the paralegal position worked better for my brain mentality than the legal secretary position. Okay. That makes sense. So one thing that I love is that you didn't just stop at getting your paralegal certificate. <laughs> um with all of your certifications that you got. The reason I love it is because I am preaching everywhere I can that paralegals should look at advanced certifications and advanced skills and look at career security over job security. And so you're the perfect example of that. So I would love to know from your perspective. So you've got three advanced level certifications. Why did you decide to do that after getting your paralegal certificate? Has it helped advance your career? So the funny thing is, is getting my CP, Certified Paralegal, from the National Association of Legal Assistants, the first question I get asked is why? Most people only get the certification. You know, they sit through the both tasks, the knowledge and the skills exam, and it's 
it's tough and it's grueling. And why on earth do it if you've already been a paralegal for eight years? Because it's not, in, at least in where I am, I'm the only paralegal. So I can't get promoted any higher in the position that I'm in at the firm that I'm in. And, and I love that. And I don't, I don't want to move anywhere. But um, A, it was to prove to myself that I could do it. B, it's it's just show the paralegals in all of the the associations that I'm a part of that it is doable. Um, my background's criminal law, and I do white collar civil, and the CP is everything. So it's real estate and trusts and family law and civil litigation. Very little criminal. It, so I had to learn all of these different types of law in order to be able to do it. And I wanted to show other people that if I can do it, you could totally do it. And then this sort of gets addicting, right? <laughs> yeah, I got the CP, so I have to get the ACP, uh, which is the Advanced Certified Paralegal, and I got that in Discovery. I'm a huge nerd when it comes to e-discovery, and so I thought to challenge myself to get my ASAP certificate. And I finally got that, and that was very rewarding. And it did help it, in my current position with my bosses. They see that I'm working really hard to stay up to date on everything, all the the new nuances in discovery and e-discovery, and then I'm keeping up with what's going on. And it makes me a little bit more uh, marketable in when they're talking to clients about you know what it is that I'm capable of doing. I have these in my email si signature. So clients do see that, you know, they're, they're kind of in the best hands for, you know, me being able to go through and collect their e-discovery and review their e-discovery. And the CAS, remind me again, I'm sorry, I forgot the CAS, what is that in? That's uh, California Advanced Specialist oh, in okay. Discovery. Before I jump off the certifications, I do have a question. So how do you keep up with all the CLE? Because I know with just one, it's hard enough. So are they interchangeable? Are there things that you can take that would apply to all three of those certifications? Or do you pretty much start at zero with each one and CLE-wise? So the CP, ACP, and CAS, I can use all the same CLE credits for. They're also the same that I can use to hold my paralegal title. In California, we have to do four hours of CLE credit in general, and then two in ethics every two years. The hard one is the ASET certificate. I have to do 20 hours of e-discovery every five years, but I end up doing that anyway. I have way more CLE hours than I need because I do present in CLE classes. So you get time and a half for that. And I do present at the San Francisco Paralegal Association a lot. Uh, so I, you know, I have to get credit for that. So it's not daunting, I guess, for me, but it, I guess it could be for other people that aren't as active in their associations. Yeah. Well, so speaking about active in associations, <laughs> you've got a lot going on on the side. And I think it's a good example. I'd love to hear, and I'm sure listeners would too, how maybe how much time and what the reward is for serving on your, you know, your local paralegal association, your national, you do the women in e-discovery, you do the paralegal section. And what I find interesting is that a lot of times when I talk to a paralegal, maybe they're a member of a local association, but 
They just do it to put it on their resume. They don't even participate because they say, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. So how do you find the time to not just be a member of one, but serve on the board of several different areas? It's hard. Sometimes I do find myself spending my lunch hour, you know, working on one of the associations or after hours or weekends. But I think for me, I I fought hard to advance myself as a paralegal and I didn't know that these associations existed. And I think if I would have known that they existed, that I might have been able to to pivot and move into a paralegal position much faster. And I love being a part of them because I can get the word out there that these things exist and I can help create programs and classes for paralegals who were in my position that, you know, need a, a leg up, um, you know, to do a resume review or to do, you know, we do classes on interviewing and we have several networking events to where, you know, you might not be looking for a job, but you can make friends with people who are maybe in a job that you want to go into and accidentally find yourself a mentor or find somebody who you get along with and they know somebody who knows somebody that has a paralegal position available and now you've got yourself a reference or an introduction at least to get your foot in the door to a position you might not have had the chance to. So I'm a huge advocate for being part of a paralegal association, whether you're a member or not. But if you want to get a little more involved, being a board member is hugely rewarding. You get to sort of take your ideas and talk with, you know, the rest of the board members and take something from an idea to actually a class or a conference or, you know, maybe getting yourself written up in an article. I just think it's a great way to, I think it's a great way to, you know, advance in your paralegal possession, whether you're looking for advancement money or title wise, or just to have a more fulfilling paralegal career. Well, I, for one, want to thank you for all the time that you're spending, (laughs) because I think a lot of the paralegals coming up in the ranks will hopefully appreciate that time and energy to have that kind of resource. I agree. I don't think enough paralegals, it surprises me how few paralegals graduating with a paralegal certificate even know about some of the local associations and national associations that they could be a part of. Right. And it's the best way to get your CLE credit. I know in California, it doesn't have to be paralegal specific for it to uh, count as part of our CLE. And so, you know, you could be taking CLEs for attorneys. In fact, that's the only kind of CLE that California allows. It has to be something that an attorney could take. But I do know in other states that you have to take paralegal specific CLE classes. They can't be more for attorneys for it to count as your, to keep up your certification or your um, title. So it's a great way to get, you know, your CLEs taken care of too and the network. And sometimes it's easier to talk about the joys and the horribleness of, you know, cases with other paralegals rather than going home and trying to talk to your significant other or spouse or parents about the woes of your job. It's nicer to talk about it with people that that live it and understand what you're going through. 
Yeah, you know, that made me just think of, you know, some of the social media paralegal groups that are just, you know, random groups that, I mean, they've gotten pretty big over the years. And obviously people love going on social media and, you know, you have this kind of almost anonymous way to complain or gripe or say good things, you know, just depends. But I wonder, have you seen or do you know if association membership maybe is on a decline or has gone down because people enter these Facebook groups and think that's their support that they that they need for their career? I haven't seen it go down, at least not for SIFPA uh, as far as we're concerned. I have seen it go up a little just because everything has been so virtual lately that you know, we've gotten members who are in Southern California and who are in Northern California and in other states, actually, to where, because we're still providing all of our CLEs virtually. So you don't have to be in San Francisco right now in order to be part of an association. But I do notice that we have several hundred members, but we only have a couple hundred who participate. And I don't know the dynamic of why people are members of an association, but that aren't active. I'd love to figure that out. That's something that I'm trying to work on in my brain to figure out a way to pull people and quantify it. But I, I think that they're doing themselves a disservice by not participating because there's a lot of opportunity to network and grow and um, learn new things, you know, uh, brush up your resume, whether you're looking or not, you can still use it as your CV, LinkedIn tips, interview tips, how to advocate for yourself. So the paralegal associations aren't just there for the student members or the baby paralegals to sort of get to where they're, they feel comfortable, you know, being a paralegal all on their own. I think it's for veterans and people that are in the middle uh, of their career um, and all the way through. I agree. Yeah. And it gives a good balance too. You know, you can learn, you'd be surprised what you might be able to learn from a new paralegal, even if you've been doing it for 20 years or 30 years and vice versa. There are so many applications that I've learned that I can use on my computer that I had no idea about. And it's, you know, uh, the up and comers that are telling me how to do things easier or different. And um, I'm all for it. So I also am wondering, I'm just curious because I had this um, article and podcast episode called Paralegal Side Gigs. I, I did it post-pandemic when people were complaining maybe that they weren't making enough money. And I thought, okay, here's five things I think it was that you could do on the side. It wouldn't require you giving up your day job. It would just be to supplement your income and and it wouldn't require you working for Uber or lift on the weekends and putting miles on your car. And I noticed just today when I was stalking your LinkedIn profile that you have a little side hustle called Pretty Little Peacock. Tell me about that. How did you get started with that and what is it? So I make jewelry. I do gemstone jewelry. It's not like really big statement pieces and I could never find anything that I really liked. And so I've always been sort of crafty and creative and I decided to start making my own jewelry. And then people would stop me and ask me where I got it. And then I would say that I made it. 
And a couple times somebody bought the necklace that I was wearing like while I was standing in line at Starbucks. <laughs> like, well, this is fun. If I can sell it, then I can buy more gemstones to make more pieces. And then it just sort of spiraled into, okay, now I own my own jewelry business on the side. But I don't make a lot of money from it. I, I use it more as a way, it's like art therapy. If I have a bad case, like I said, I do criminal law. Sometimes it's, I want to turn my brain off and that's how I do it. I I can go into my office and at my house and sit and make a piece and only focus on that. And I'm not, my brain's no longer focused on the horrible discovery I just saw or the fact that we lost a case or any of those things. So it's therapeutic for me. And I, I also get to use my creative side as an outlet to make things and to meet new people and I do the art and wine festivals. Like I said earlier, I, you know, I don't like to have free time. <laughs> I guess not. Fill every moment of my life with things. So, yeah. So, gosh, that made me think, you know, there ought to be a website. Uh, if, if I had time, I'd do it. But there ought to be a website where you could just like post every, any paralegal who has a side hustle, right? So that people could support other paralegals side businesses you know you need jewelry you go here you, you know just to anyways i'm just thinking on the fly here but i definitely want to get that url from you and i'll put it in the show notes so that people can visit either your website or if you've got an instagram or something like that to take a look at your jewelry all right so as we wrap up i like to give actionable strategies um, advice or tips something that listeners can walk away from who might be struggling with something that you've learned from already that you could pass along. So I'm wondering, what advice do you have for someone who's currently working as a legal secretary or a legal assistant, any role really, where they took that role to get their foot in the door, but they really want a paralegal position? Are there any like the top three things maybe you could give them that you learned? Yeah. So I would say review the position or the job openings for any position that you sort of want to go into. So if you want to become a paralegal and there's an opening for a paralegal in a in your firm or a firm that's comparable, review it and look to see what it is that they're looking for and see how many boxes you check out of that list. And even if you don't check all of them, figure out what things in your life or your past positions or your current position that you can sort of parlay into checking that box or at least kind of checking that box off. Learn to advocate for yourself. There's lots of classes out there for interview techniques and styles. Learn how to advocate for yourself and ask for the position. But if you've asked for the position once or twice, probably more like twice, and they're not giving it to you, take a livestock and sort of see, are you where you want to be? And if you're not, why are you where you want to be? And why aren't you trying to get to where you want to be? I stayed because I was stuck and I was scared. And I wish I wouldn't have done that. And I believe, honestly, if I would have gotten my certificate earlier, if I would have started advocating for myself more and just putting myself out there, that I wouldn't have been as miserable in the job that I had for as long as I was. I did end up lucking out and, you know, getting a job that I, I've never been happier working other than doing what I'm doing. So I would just, 
you know, take a like stock. Why am I here? Where do I want to go? How do I get there? And what are other avenues that I can use to get up into a position that I want? Do I need a mentor? Do I need to network and sort of put my name out there? Getting involved in a network of people who, you know, could help you get your foot in the door into a position that, you know, you they might have looked you over because you didn't check all of the boxes. And, you know, there's no harm in trying for a position if you don't check all the boxes. But don't stay just because you feel bad that, you know, the firm has so many cases and without you, they're not going to be able to make it because, you know, you you don't want to feel that you're replaceable, but you are replaceable. And at the end of the day, it's not your business. And if you're miserable, there's no reason to stay miserable in a position just because you feel bad for the amount of work you're going to cost the firm when you leave. Yes, yes. You know, that's really good advice. I haven't had that on the, the show yet, but go back and listen to what Amy said about that. You know, it's their business. It's their business. It's it's just like me as a business owner. I will recover. I It would suck if somebody left, but I will recover. I have to. And I do see that a lot in some of these Facebook posts, these um, paralegal groups where people will say, oh my gosh, I got this great offer. It's for $10,000 more. It's doing the work I've always wanted to work. The commute is going to be so much less, but I'm just dreading giving my notice and don't know if I should leave or not because they're going to be so upset. We're like family. (laughs) I'm like, no, you're not family. Leave. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Every time I read those, uh, I think we're part of the same groups on Facebook. It breaks my heart and I want to just reach out and and most of the time I do, I tell people, like, they don't, they're going to be fine. You need to do what you need to do to make yourself happy. Don't worry about what they need to do. And if you leaving makes them realize your worth, then, you know, maybe you'll get a raise out of it. And if you leaving doesn't make them realize your worth, then you were putting way more into them than they were putting into you. Nice. All right. That's a good, good way to end with some good advice. All right, everybody. Thank you. And thank you, Amy, for joining me today. I can't wait to get this information out to our listeners. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you for letting me talk about what I'm passionate about for a few minutes. All right. And thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. You're busier than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Doubt that. All right. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, hit the subscribe button in whatever platform you're listening. And please take a quick minute and leave a review of the podcast and share this episode with just one colleague or friend who you think would benefit from what we discussed today. Share the knowledge and the entire paralegal profession elevates. See you next week. Bye for now.